Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Isaac. And this is your boy, Bryce. And we are Brothers on Tennis. And folks, we are so, so very happy to be talking with a, a young man that we had the privilege of meeting at World Team Tennis uh, this past fall, the, uh, uh, the October-November uh, Indian Wells edition, if you will. And I mean, this, this, this guy is just, he's a quality guy. And uh, we just enjoyed our discussions with him. And Bryce, I know that you know, we've been uh, wanting to get him on this show and, and on our podcast, and we finally have him. <laughs> finally, right? Uh, I tell you what, scheduling has been so crazy on our end, not on his end. Um, and so we, um, you know, things slowed down for us a little bit, um, and we reached out and he was available. We knew he had some things going on in the spring, but... Um, he was available. So we're glad to have him here. And um, let's introduce who we have. And, and, and the gentleman that is speaking with us today is Carlos Carrera. Um, he is um, uh, just recently finished a stint as being an assistant coach for the women's tennis team at Columbia University. Um, he also graduated uh, while he was there. So we'll want to make sure we, we hear about that as well. But when we first met Carlos at World Team Tennis, he was also working with the World Team Tennis organization as well. So we want to ask him a bunch of questions about the collegiate, the tennis collegiate experience, as well as what's going on with World Team Tennis. So Carlos, welcome to Brothers on Tennis. Thank you so much, Bryce Isaac. It's great, great to be here. It's funny because we just randomly happened to be at the BIP that one night at World Team Tennis, and we just started chatting. And we're we're all tennis lovers, tennis fans, so we connected right away. And I'm glad that we made it happen uh, a few months after. But it's better late than never. That's right. That's right. And uh, Carlos, once again, it's great to have you on. And, and for our listeners, and we always like to kind of get a little bit of backstory from our listeners. So talk to us about how you came to start playing and or enjoying the game of tennis. So how old were you and and how did that whole whole thing come about? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's funny because uh, I'm from Ecuador, uh, South America. So it's a very heavy soccer football which is called down there culture so it's right. not so common that people play other sports down there and I guess for me it was all about my cousin who for some reason my uncle always loved the sport and he put her in in tennis and she was competing uh, at junior level and then everybody in my family was working and busy and my mom was the only one who can um, who was a housewife so she was taking care of us and she would be the only one who could I go to the tournaments with my cousin. So she would drive my cousin to the tournaments and I was like four or five years old and she was taking care of me. So she would drag me along with her and I would go to the tournaments and that's the first introduction to the sport. I held a racket for the first time and I was hitting some balls and just like banging around and I guess they saw I really enjoyed it and they put me into lessons and then I never, never really let, let it go until now. So it's been a, it's been a great ride. Nice. So, and did, oh, go ahead, Bryce. Oh, I'm sorry. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I might be wrong on this. Was the tennis legend from Ecuador, Andres Gomez? That's right. Yeah, the only Ecuadorian to ever win a, a Grand Slam. He won the French Open in 1990. Okay. So I assume he was a big role model for you? 
Uh, yeah, definitely he was. He, you know, you always look up to to those big players, especially from him being Ecuadorian and and making it at the tour level from such a small country. You don't hear that too often, so it, you always look up to him. And I actually was, I mean, I know him pretty well because his uh, younger youngest son, uh, uh, what I can't remember his name. Um, well, but he used to be in my. He was a year younger, but we would play together. So one year we would overlap in the same. Uh, category and under under in the juniors so I would I knew him sort of um, kind of well and he helped me actually when I was applying for a visa a work visa to be able to coach he actually drafted a letter for me uh, so that I can um, get the visa as a supporting document if, to, to say so uh, so that's pretty cool absolutely and 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 so Carlos going through kind of like your formative years did you like play for a high school or 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 anything like that or did you join like the j junior tour or anything because you because you played so i'm just kind of wondering about uh that on your side yeah no the structure uh, down there is a little bit different you don't have much high school sports only soccer soccer is pretty big so all the high schools play against each other but in terms of other sports it's not really a structure or a system in place that can allow people to play at the high school level so what you do is you play on your own you play privately and then um you just compete in in and state or national tournaments and if you're doing pretty well you can expand it to internationally of course the the tough part internationally is expenses um if you if you have the the economic ability to do so then you can of course do so uh, but i am mostly competed at the state and national level um and at around like 15 years old i joined like the state uh academy sort of um and that was a big, big step up for me. That's when I really got to improve a lot of my game. I was playing with some of the best uh, players in 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 the country. Some of them went to win national uh, NCAA national tournaments. One of the players that I used to uh, train with, Marilise Casari, she went to Vanderbilt and she won the the NCAA national tournament with them. So that's pretty cool. Nice. That is that's insane. So when you finished playing, I guess, kind of as a junior in terms of your state and your national tournaments, um, what happened then? Yeah, I mean, as, as a young guy, as a young kid who doesn't have the desire to play um, professionally, right? That was always the goal growing up uh, as a kid. But once you start coming of age and you're like 16, 17 and you understand the environment a little bit more, understand the landscape, understand the process and how much how much effort it takes to make it there. Not that I didn't have the, the work ethic to get there. It's just so many other components, basically economic components and some other things that play, in, play a huge role into making it at the, at the professional level. Then the next biggest and best option uh, was college, right? I didn't want to stop playing tennis. And in Ecuador, there's no college uh, organization in terms of anything, college athletics or anything. So I would basically, if I stay there, um, studying university, I would have completely quit playing tennis or stopped playing tennis. And that's what I didn't want. I always wanted to continue playing, even if I was at the college level. I, I've always been competitive and have enjoyed uh, competition and playing and competing. So my my best option was college. So I, I started applying to schools. I hired sort of an agency down there that would, would do it everything for you. Um, so I, I hired them and they helped me to get a scholarship in the States. Oh, wow. I had no idea that you actually had to, that there was an agency that would do something like that. That's, that's really interesting. So when you hired them, they went back, I, I assume they applied to all of these colleges, came back to you. 
I mean, was St. Peter's the sort of the first choice or, or, or did you have multiple? How did that whole process work and how did you make your determination to go where you went? Yeah, it was exactly like that. They would help you with like videos, contacting coaches, making a profile online, SATs and all of the, the different uh, checklists that you need in order to apply. And then they would basically lay out the options on the table and they were like, you know, this university offers this much of a scholarship. You have to pay this much. This other one, this one and that one. And and unfortunately for me, the economic uh, side of it was sort of like the biggest uh, differentiator for me and uh, St. Peter's was the one that offered the most scholarship meaning I had to pay the least to attend that school so that was and then it was again a good location Jersey City which is close to New York who doesn't want to be close to New York and it was a D1 program I knew that I wanted to go to a division one program for sure uh, so I think it sort of filled some of the buckets that I was looking for and it was a no-brainer to go there it was it was a small school a small program uh, but overall, just a great experience for me coming from South America, from Ecuador, uh, a third world country, to be able to come to the States and and go to school and play tennis. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that for me, whether it was St. Peter's or any other school. Right. I can imagine. And so my question, which is, I guess, a little bit broader than tennis uh, you know, I just came back from Roland Garros uh, for the first time. I, my first time in Paris. So brand spanking new American in Paris, you know, no experience over there. Uh, and I know what that felt like. What was the transition like for you coming from Ecuador, just living in the United States and the, and the college system and fast food restaurants and, you know, everything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can definitely be a shock. Um, I think personally for me, it, it wasn't that hard of a transition, obviously, it was hard. I think the biggest thing was just the change of things, being away from family, from friends, from everything that you were used to. I think that was the biggest thing for me. But other than that, it was it was okay. I guess I think I I learned and I grew grew to be a lot very independent because I was basically out of the house all day. Like ever since I was eight or nine, and I started really getting into tennis and and wanting to play competitively. I would go to school from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. I would come back, get a get a lunch break, and then right away go to practice from like 3 o'clock to 7 o'clock, come back at 8 o'clock, do some homework, and then go to sleep. So you're basically out of the house the whole day. You learn to be independent. And around 15, 16, I, I was already competing and traveling. I had the opportunity to compete internationally for, for the first time in a few ITF tournaments, but obviously I didn't have enough uh, money to cost uh, – to pay the expenses for myself and for a coach. So I traveled by myself. I went to uh, Colombia, to Venezuela, to three tournaments, four ITF tournaments in Colombia and Venezuela by myself, only at 15 years old. So I think I learned how to be independent and just be on my own and, and, and still be able to be happy and well. So I think that really stepped me up nightly to be in the in, in US in college uh, all alone. Plus you get a, a team, you get a coach, you get a sort of like a a family that a place where you think that you can that you can belong and that you feel safe. So I think that even though there's some things that are hard about it, I think overall, you know, you feel very welcome and you feel like you're doing some some amazing things. So it sort of balances out. Gotcha. And, and so Carlos, when you came to the states and you and you went to the university, was did you have any family whatsoever around, or were you just you were? It, I mean, were, you were it, huh? Yeah, that was it. I was I was on my own. I had I have an aunt in Florida who moved, married an American, 
and she moved to Florida 20 plus years ago, but she was far. I was in, in up, up in Jersey, so it wasn't that, um, that close. So yeah, it was pretty much me. So yeah, it's tough, but, but you really, you really learn a ton. You grow a lot, you mature a lot. And, and I think the other side of it now that I've been away for a lot more years, I think it also makes you value and appreciate more, a lot, uh, other things like family and friends and, and things like that. So I think it, it, it helps you tremendously to, to be able to, to move away and to come anywhere, right? This, in my case, to the States, but it doesn't have to be, it can be anywhere as well. So talk to us about your collegiate tennis playing experience. You know, how did you do what, you know, was the whole college structure and platform of playing? Was that something new for you to get used to having teammates? Um, talk to us about that. Yeah, uh, I thought if you asked this question, fun if you asked this question a few years ago, it would probably been a, a different answer. But I always thought that my experience at St. Peter's was amazing. I am always grateful of everything that I was able to do on the program and the school uh, for all those four years that I competed there. But after joining Columbia, you know, an Ivy League school, a uh, big program, big budget, I really sort of had a, a grasp of of how a real uh, a good program performs and how a real program is is organized and everything. So now that I look back, I'm like, wow, like I really, uh, I it's not like a regret, but I really wish that I I had been part of a program like this just because I thought I had a lot of potential. I just I just I'm just curious to see what I could have accomplished uh, with a with a big more resources and, and better people surrounding me and strength and conditioning coaches and nutrition coaches and, and all of these other, other extra things that some of the bigger programs have. But other than that, I, I think overall, just my experience at St. Peter's was great. Being able to be part of a team, it's a whole different environment, a whole different experience. Uh, and you were playing a lot. You were playing, training a lot, playing every weekend. I really think that I thought that I was coming as a pretty good, a pretty developed player. And the fact that you train so much and you play so much, so many matches across the season here in the States um, gets you even better. So I really gained a lot of confidence and my game really evolved coming from, from play down in South America to hard here. So I, I, I became a, a better, more a more complete player with, with different weapons than I used to have before. So it was a really cool transition and I really, really enjoyed my whole experience. Gotcha. So tell me this, Carlos. So you're at St. Peter's, you're playing on the team, you're getting results. At what point, I guess, did you come to the conclusion that you weren't going to, I guess, pursue the professional tennis route? I'm, I'm trying to kind of figure out when did you determine, okay, the coaching thing is for me and I'm, I'm still going to play and be a player, but I'm going to take this alternate path when to kind of explain or talk to us about how that whole process worked for you and how it came about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I graduated in 2015 and I didn't, I was an accounting major and I started interviewing. I think, uh, the, the, the plan was always to tennis. I mean, once I got to college, the, the mindset and the plan was, you know, I, I'm still going to play tennis just because I love it so much and I enjoy playing and I lo love competing, but it's just a means to a greater thing. And in this case, the greater thing is in education. And after I graduate, I think I was ready to hang my rackets and, you know, do what you're supposed to, you know, get a job and climb up the corporate ladder and do all of those good things. But, um, 
I graduated and I was having a tough time finding a job. Um, I had a bunch of interviews. There was a lot of opportunities in accounting and, and I was interviewing and I had some job offers, but nobody really at the time offered me the opportunity to sponsor me a visa. And that was really important to me because I didn't want to work anywhere for a year. My, uh, potentially my last year in the States, like work like crazy, work really hard for someone and they, they just let me go at the end of the year. So I was really looking for someone who was going to give me not that opportunity only for that year that I was allowed to work, but somebody who was going to invest in me and giving me opportunities to grow and opportunities to stay in the country and fulfill all the dreams that I had at the time. So nobody was really giving me that. And then out of the blue, I found an opportunity just from, from searching around um, in online. I found an opportunity to join a small tennis provider in Jersey City where my school was. Uh, this tennis provider was doing after-school programs for um, small pre-K schools in Jersey City, and they were looking for a coach who can help them out uh, on court to teach some lessons and teach some of the, the after-school programs, but also someone who can help them a little bit on the business side and do some marketing and some email communication and some logistics stuff and some um, promotion and events and, and things like that. So. I really enjoyed the the idea of of being able to work not only on the court and be a coach, but also on the business side of the thing and get a little bit of business experience because that's always important. So I took on that role and I really immediately like fell in love with coaching. It was just, it, it just came so easy for me. I, I love the sport and, and I love being able to give back everything that I've learned at the time. I think I was a player for for 15 plus years uh, and I was like you know what like I think I can I can I have a lot to give back to the younger generation so why not take this as a career and see where it can take me and then I really took on it uh, seriously and I made it my career and and I just pursue any coaching opportunity out there and that's what then eventually led me to Colombia and so like you said Colombia is, is a real program uh <laughs> Ivy League uh school um, as you know, we're doing a spotlight series on one of the Harvard players, uh, Maxie Duncan. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was keeping my eye on the, the weekend that you, your two teams matched up uh, <laughs> there. But, you know, talk to us about what you learned at Columbia, because clearly listening to you talk about the experience there, you felt like you know, that was definitely something to to um, to experience and to behold. Yeah, no, I think my my experience at Columbia has been. By far, I think one of the best experiences I had so far in terms of a job, I think, you know, growing up as a tennis player, uh, whenever I had the opportunity to travel to some local tournaments or whatever it was with a coach and a group of of players who were colleagues and friends and, and we would train together and do everything together. I think that was a, a really cool experience. And I remember as a kid always thinking, you know, I, I think it'll be really cool to some someday be part of something like this as a coach, you know, and travel with my team and do all the things together. And and I would wonder how that how how that is. And then eventually I landed that at Columbia. So I think it was in a way a dream job for me. So it was it was a great experience uh being being part of the program and and, you know, I'm really grateful to to the head coach who as I joined as a volunteer assistant coach in 2018. But I think she also saw the potential and the passion and the love for the game. And she really um, gave me a lot of opportunities and, and a lot of responsibilities for an assistant coach. Uh, for a volunteer assistant, I was getting a lot of responsibilities. And I think I really 
took it down with with an open heart and and just made the best out of it. And and those four years uh, uh, have been some of the best times in in, in my entire life. Oh, that's amazing. That's excellent. And and Carlos, what I'd like to actually ask you about is you 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 go there in 2018, and you know you're you're seeing all of these you know different nuances in the program, and then all of a sudden, we run into COVID, and the pandemic. Talk to us about kind of what that looked like, or how did the program, and how did you kind of work with the program through? that lockdown, if you will, because, I mean, it was pretty much a year plus. I mean, it, it differed for different um, places, but talk to us about that, if you would. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it was really disappointing. I remember at the time when COVID happened, we just had come out of uh, our best win in program history. We beat, we beat FIU uh, at home. They were ranked, I think, 31 or something, and we made the highest ranking in the school, in the school history, which was 21st uh, in the NCAAs. So we were like really building towards a great finale, to say so, and and potentially maybe, well, we'll never know, but winning Ivies or or potentially uh, getting that postseason bid and play postseason. We haven't reached postseason since 2013, so we were really building so we're towards something great we don't know what the end would have been but we were really excited about the season and we were doing really well and then all of a sudden you know when something like that happens that you have absolutely zero control over it's really disappointing and i guess for me as a coach i wasn't really doing the playing and everything but just seeing how devastated the players were to not be able to compete and to see what they could have done and to be together and train together and do all the things that in a sense make us whole and make us happy i think that was that was the toughest part um to see the kids but you know you 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 live and you learn and and i think it was it was something good at the end and i mean after a year and a half that we weren't able to compete i mean looking back the first time that or the first season that we got back together which was in the fall it made it everything. It made everything, you know, a thousand times better because after having been deprived of not being able to be together and train and play and travel and all of these great things that we do as a team, then we had we had it again. So everybody was even more excited to be back and they appreciated it even more and they were more present and doing the right thing. So I think, you know, having that little a little break at the time felt tough, but then once we got back together, we had a blast and it was um, in terms of performance and how the team did wasn't one of our best seasons this last one but in terms of the team environment and the culture and the camaraderie i think it was one of the best years that we've had so far so carlos we have listeners that in the next couple of years they will be making the decision of whether or not to pursue their their uh tennis passions on the professional circuit or do they go the college route you know, um, you obviously have great experience about the college experience. Um, what would you, what advice would you have for those people in terms of considering whether to go directly pro or to go the collegiate route? Yeah, I would, I would advise them to, to be a little, to be a little patient. I think there's so many great things about uh, first going to college. Uh, for many different aspects, which I'll, I'll get into, but I think they just have to first look at what's happening on tour, right? Like, except for uh, the young boy, Alcaraz, I think 
more and more the players are are really making it at at a later at a being older um you know and players playing even have having longer careers than before you know you see Nadal who just won uh, Roland Garros which is amazing you know so there is no there is no rush to 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 make it right away and and, and again college can give you so many so many great experiences first of all you know being part of a team and having sort of a different a different environment and a different um, experience than you're used to because you're always used to traveling alone and competing and it can get a little bit um, uh, lonely at some at points. So it's great to to have something else to 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 play differently. It can really help your game. You know, like I said, for me, um, I grew up in South America, which was clay courts, and then everything in college was hardcore. So I had to adapt my game. I learned how to take the ball early. I learned how to come in, close at the net. So it, you're you're learning a lot of not only uh, important skills in tennis, but then also the whole experience. You're, you're learning to be a little more independent. You're going to school. You're having to manage your time. So you're learning skills uh, on court and off court that will serve you whether you're a professional athlete or not. And then I guess from my experience at Columbia, you know, the, the Ivy Leagues are getting so competitive and, and so good. Uh, and they're competing against these top-ranked teams that have, you know, a lot of scholarships. And, and of course, they have a... a a lot of uh, top players but just setting yourself up for what's coming after because whether you are uh, a professional or not at some point that's going to end you can't be a professional athlete forever right uh, except unless you're Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal <laughs> but um, <laughs> but those are two in, in a million and millions and billions but um, yeah so you have to also you know look at the big picture and setting yourself up with a degree for what's con- going to come after you're a professional it, it's always going to be uh, beneficial. Uh, so I think in, in, in terms of, of maturity and, and having a different experience uh, and learning new skills and getting a degree, I think there's so many positives that it, it's hard to, to, to not go with the college route. Right. And, and Carlos, I just want to recognize the point that you made earlier, the fact that you went to school, but the ultimate goal was to get that education and to get that degree. And I think a lot of people miss that fact. So yeah, just kudos to you for that, because again, a lot of people really can utilize this sport for bigger things. Because not everybody, like you said, will be a Roger Federer or a Nadal. Some people will have to uh, you know, do, do some different things. So kudos to you on that part. So talk to us about when you were at Columbia, you were volunteering, your volunteer assistant coach, what were some of the actual day-to-day things that you did and what do you feel like you brought to the program? Yeah, um, I think it, uh, since day one, you know, I, I was recognized heavily on, on just my energy, bringing mm-hmm. a lot of energy to the court and, and to the practice. Uh, I'm a very, you know, upbeat, very happy guy and I'm always smiling. I'm always having fun, whether I'm coaching or playing or whatever it is that I'm doing. So I think I really brought, like from day one, I think that was a big, uh, uh, something that I did um, as a volunteer assistant coach is bring a lot of energy to the court, whether I was, I was, we were practicing or playing matches or whatever it was, you know, uh, I think that was from day one what I brought. But then um, uh, in terms of some of the duties that I did, I was uh, on court, obviously coaching. We would do like individuals with some players one-on-one and then the whole team would come. We would do a team session. Um, I would also help out with, you know, 
logistics, uh, the scheduling practices, the scheduling matches, reaching out to coaches, um, recruiting a little bit as well. I was able to do recruiting calls, especially the calls were in Spanish because I had that skill um, since I'm from Ecuador. Um, I try to talk to coaches or parents and, and, and answer some of their questions in their own language, which makes it a lot easier to communicate and to get the point across. So that was a good thing as well. And I think the biggest thing was also taking on the social media for the team. Um, you know, the, the head coach and the assistant are doing so many things that they don't really have time for, to to handle everything. So I was uh, at the time also I started doing my um, I graduate uh, degree in sports management. So I was learning a lot of, of really cool things from from the sports industry and, and to be able to apply it right away on the team was was a, another good experience for me. So I took on the social media as well. So, um, yes, those those were some of the things that, that I did when, when I joined the program. And so I'm very interested in understanding, you know, your 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 progress seems all very linear at this point. Where did World Team Tennis come in to play? Yeah, absolutely. So I joined the program, like I said, in 2000 and. 18 um, in the fall, I worked for a year, and um, at the time, I always, I always had the the idea of getting some college experience as a volunteer assistant to be able to get my master's degree at some point as a graduate assistant. That way, uh, you don't have to pay for the for the masters for the education. You work as an assistant, and they pay for your school, of course. So that was always the goal. So that's why I, I was super happy, super. Super stoked to join the Columbia program in 2018 to get that experience to eventually be able to get my, my master's. But like I said, I feel like in 2018 when when enjoying the impact and the yeah the the impact of of being part of a, of an Ivy League school, Columbia and the community, the people you're surrounded with and 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 the network you're you're getting, I just saw that impact right away, and I just got inspired. You know, I was like surrounded by so many bright people driven, hardworking people that really wanted to to do well and, and to change the world in a sense. And I was like, wow, like I would love to go to school here. Um, I'm already one step in the in the door, you know, I'm 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 a part of the staff. Why not why not try to get my education here if, if that was the plan ultimately. So I was I started looking into programs and I found the the masters in the sports management, which I joined and it made total sense. You know, I I've I'd been coaching at the time for about like five or six years. I had some experience on the business side, working for that organization that I mentioned, and I also did some work for USDA during the 2018 and the 2019 US Open. So those kind of experiences sort of made the perfect transition for me to get a master's in sports management and get some of the technical skills and, and, and the necessary things to be able to work in sports, but more on the business side. And my last semester in 20, on the fall of 2019, or second to last semester, I think, uh, I needed to do an internship to be able to graduate from the program. So I started looking into internships and I found this opportunity with World Team Tennis and just the, the connection was evident, right? I, I was doing the program and getting the, the the necessary skills for the business side and World Team Tennis was looking for a corporate partnerships intern. And I came from not only the background of the education in Colombia, but also I've been a tennis player my whole life. I've worked as a coach. Worked in Colombia as an assistant coach, so everything sort of made sense 
uh, and I and I got the position. So I, I interned for World Team Tennis uh, for the fall of 2019. That's how I came across. And was that just during the fall, Carlos, or or did you, or because we saw you, of course, in 2021. So were you still interning at that point, or or yeah. was it something different? Sorry, no, the fall 2019, I started the program, but I started part time. So it, I, I just kept doing classes every semester, a uh, couple classes here and there. And then in Got 2020, or 21, sorry, that's when uh, I needed the internship to graduate. And that's when I, I joined World Team Tennis as an intern. Wonderful, wonderful. Nice, nice. And, and, and as far as the, I guess the, well, you kind of mentioned some of the things that you did with World Team Tennis, but kind of pointing things, pointing out some specifics. Were there specific things that you were assigned in that internship that really stood out to you and, 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 and sort of really kind of, you know, made your day or, or you, they were kind of good, good nuggets, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I, I came in with absolutely no expectations because at the time I had not had a lot of experience on the, on the business side of the sports. Uh, like I said, just a couple of experiences here and there. Um, but joining the, the World Team Tennis really opened my eyes to how amazing the industry is and how many different things you can do, uh, even on the, on the business side. So I did corporate partnerships, which was um, a really cool experience because um, it sort of combined both the world of business, where I was like on my computer, like reaching out to people, prospecting to potential partners who might want to invest some, some dollars on, on the event, or reaching out to companies who we needed to to make deals with. For example, like we needed like 25 rental cars, so I was tasked with um, finding like a, the 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 most uh, efficient and and cheaper option in terms of rental cars um, and things like that. I was building decks to present to partners. I was building proposals. I was building you know brainstorming to figure out uh, how a brand can fit within the event to make their products or services. Um, you know, to make an impactful campaign or, some, or something like that. So that was a really cool experience. And then during the event, when I met you guys, it was also a lot of hands-on just, you know, being there, helping out with things. I was helping out with clinics, uh, doing some clinics in the morning. I was helping out at the event, uh, making sure that, you know, the partners were getting the most out of their investment dollars, meeting people. I put together the players party that you were, guys were a part of. I was working on that as well. So I, I just thought that coming from a coaching background, I never saw myself um, getting a, a nine to five job and just being in an office from nine to five. That was never the plan. And having this experience in corporate partnerships where I was a little bit on the office, doing some some work on the computer and stuff like that, but also being able to be on the field, just doing wearing many different hats and doing so many different interesting things, I think really was like a, an, an opening experience, a turning point. And I was like, wow, like the, the, the sports industry is really cool. You can do so many different events and different things. And that's when I started getting into into events and some other things that I have done since then. So that was a really, really cool experience for me. So I think in the States, um, of course, uh, where World Team Tennis is, you know, even your tennis fans aren't even watching that as much as I think we'd like them to. Uh, I think maybe the viewership picked up a little bit during the pandemic because people were so starved for uh, tennis on television, but what would you say to our listeners about, you know, how they can get involved with World Team Tennis, not only, you know, 
what the pros play every year, but also there are local um, opportunities for people to play in World Team Tennis Leagues. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think just to start off from, from a product standpoint, you know, the idea behind World Team Tennis, I think it's like nothing you see out there in terms of the sports because uh, all, all these other sports and nowadays even more, you know, they're talking about equality and the same payment for women and men and all these uh, uh, big uh, stances about equality and everything, but none of them are truly really equal because women are on one side and men are on the other, right? They're competing. So the really cool and interesting thing about World Team Tennis is that it puts men and women on the same stage. They're part of a team and they're both competing for the same team, contributing to the team the same amount, having the same exposure and broadcasting and television, getting the same price money and everything. So it's in a sense, I think from what I know and with, you know, sort of research, World Team Tennis is the one and true, only unique, equal, you know, men and women league uh, in terms of a sport. So I think from, from, from that sense, it's really cool. And then some other things that also make it interesting is the format. It's a different format. You're playing, like I said, as part of a team, you're playing short sets, no ad scoring. Uh, you're counting the amount of games that you play. And, and I think, you know, I didn't really know how much fun it is um, until I was really watching it, you know, because at the time I've been coaching for playing tennis and coaching for so long and, and, even being there and watching and, and the game so interesting and the format and everything, I was just so excited. And, and even as a tennis player and that who has played the sport for so long. So that just goes to show how big of an impact it can have. But yeah, it's tough to compete against all these other tournaments and all these other events and entertainment, you know, because in a sense, the sport is competing against other forms of entertainment as well. So it's tough to, to compete out there with everyone. That's why it hasn't had a lot of attention, I think. Um, and then, and also just from an economical standpoint, it's a small league, so it doesn't really have the, the, the buying power to advertise and to promote as much as we would have wanted to. So I think that's what keep, keeps it a little bit lower. Um, but then again, like you said, there's, there's opportunities to not only get involved from, uh, from a sporting and an entertainment portion of it, but for our tennis players out there, World Team Tennis holds local community leagues as well, where you can experience uh, the sport, like the format and the event itself, by like being part of a team, putting together two men, two women uh, on a team and just getting out there on the courts and doing it on your own. And I think, like I said, like the format is truly unique and, and it makes it for a really cool experience. So for anyone out there, you know, uh, look it up, research and, and get out there and, and, and experience it yourself because it's really, really cool. Right. I tell you what, what I love about your story is that... <sighs> And I've heard we've heard like Leslie Allen talk about this and, and she has stated, you know, you can love tennis and you can work in tennis without having to be a professional tennis player. If tennis is your passion, it's a whole industry of jobs supporting and surrounding tennis that you can pursue. And you are a great example of how I mean, you used you know, tennis to get all the way up to a graduate degree from an Ivy League school and by your own words, coming from a third world country. Um, you have definitely, as we like to say, you've done the most. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So with that, uh, so number one, Isaac and I both just really salute you for your accomplishments. So talk to us kind of what's the next phase for you? 
Yeah, no, no. Thank you so much, guys. I, I'm really, truly proud of everything that I've been able to accomplish. Uh, so, no, thank you for your words. It means a lot. And I guess just to 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 leave it out there, I think one of the things that I've realized over the years that has gotten me here, in a sense, is passion and just doing the things for the right reasons, right? Because I never was like, oh, I just want to code because... It's the easy way out of college uh, to make some money and, and then figure it out. I, it, it was never about the money or about making it easy or anything for me. It was always about passion and love for the game. So I think people, in a sense, saw that. And that's why I was able to grow and, 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 and network and get myself through, through different stages of my coaching career to eventually be a Columbia and then use that as a way to get a, a higher education. And like you said, you know, it's not only... There's not only a, an industry out there to to be part of the sport only in tennis uh, as a coach or whatever, but there's also in the sport. Like who doesn't want to work in sports, right? Sports, the passion that they evoke and 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 the love for sports is so big that you know working in sports is it's really cool and that's my ultimate goal. That's sort of a a lean into my my ultimate goal, which is I I really truly want to work in sports, but after coaching for six or seven years, I realized that it's it's really tough, you know. It's tough physically because you're out there. If you really want to make decent money, you have to hustle and you have to work hard and be out there for hours. And then people who you're coaching, they play on the weekends, right? So you don't have weekends off and it's hard to to do stuff, to have just a, a normal life in a sense. So that's why even even though I love it so much and I love the game and I, like, and I love coaching, and like I said, being at Colombia has been one of my dream jobs, it has helped me realize that some other things are important to me as well and some other things that I that I want to explore and and, and I want to do with my life and I'm willing to let go of my dream job to be able to to see what else is out there and, and pursue I always know that if I don't like it or if I'm I'm not used to it I can always go back to coaching that's always going to be there for me the, the 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 love and the passion and the game of tennis will never leave me it's always going to be with me in a sense but yeah I'm just looking to transition more to the business side of the sports um if it's in tennis that'll be great but honestly, after being involved in the sport for so long, I don't really mind if it's not a, a tennis job. So I've gotten I've gotten some experiences, and I really love the events part of it and the partnership side of things, like we like we mentioned, because of my experience with World Team Tennis. So I really like events, and I've been just volunteering and 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 doing internships. Uh, I don't really want to commit to a full time job right now because I want to see what is out there and I want to experience as many things as possible to be able to decide what I really want to do. So I've been doing some some things on the side. I volunteered at a at a fitness event in Miami at the beginning of the year. I'm currently doing an internship for Formula E, which is really cool and something really different. Um, it's racing cars. And then I also volunteered for a CrossFit competition in Madison, Wisconsin at the end of the summer. So I'm really just honestly grasping uh, as much as I can any anything that is out there in terms of the sports industry and just seeing what I like, what I don't like, and 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 that can really help me to see what the next step is uh, for me moving forward. Carlos, you are busy, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome because variety is the spice of life. And honestly, I feel like you're doing the right thing. You want to go out there, test the waters, make sure you really, really know where you're going. And honestly, based on, again, our interactions, when we met you, 
we felt that energy. We felt that passion that 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 you exude. So I at least feel like you will definitely be successful regardless of whatever path you choose. I think that you are a very, very solid young man. And and just thank you for coming on and, and speaking your story for us. Absolutely. It, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Like I said, you know, back then when we meet, uh, you guys talked to me about what you guys do and you guys are doing an amazing job as well. And you're bringing that that passion as well and, and trying to reach people and show them how cool our sport is and, and bringing people on board and, and showing the different tournaments and all of that. So you guys are doing as well a great job for the sport and for all the tennis lovers out there. So yeah, just keep doing it. All right. Well, I tell you what, your energy is so infectious and your story is inspirational. And we just can't wait till our paths cross again, because I know that they will at some point. But we thank you so much for coming on the show today. And, you know, uh, listeners, this was Carlos Carrera. You know, keep his name in the back of your mind because you might see him somewhere uh, someday. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, today. So, listeners, we're going to continue doing this for you. We're going to continue bringing you very interesting stories that you're not catching in the mainstream media uh, and this sport that we absolutely love, this this game of tennis. So, continue to listen um, to us all through the summer. You're going to have some really good stuff coming your way. So, on behalf of the podcast, this has been your boy Bryce. And this is your boy, Isaac. And we are Brothers on Tennis. Everyone, take care. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.